You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday and uh, we try to bring you the latest news about education, funding and church-state relations around Australia. Because we are pro-public education, we want to defend public education, which is open to everyone, and we're also very pro-separation of religion from the state. Now, our press release today deals with this latter principle, the separation of religion from the state. Unfortunately, in Australia at the moment, the religious lobby groups of all all kinds, uh, whether they are Christian, Muslim, Hindu or whatever, are very powerful. Uh, They have, in fact, their fingers into the public treasury to the tune of anything up to $19 $19 million, billion dollars, I'm sorry, uh, and that's in direct grants alone without the taxation expenditures or exemptions, which are many, many, many more billions. So there is unfortunately a, an entanglement of religion with the state in Australia. But what do people really think about this? What do the ordinary Australians really think about religion? And uh, the Rationalist Society uh, people have done some interesting uh, studies on this and there's new research out. So this is our press release 987, which you can find at www.adogs.info. Thanks, Jean. This is press release 987, Australians' overwhelming support, separation of religion and politics, new research shows. And this is by Cy Gladman from the Rationalist Society. The vast majority of Australians support the separation of church and state and oppose attempts by religious leaders to influence elections, new research shows. The Religion in Australian Politics and Society report, published this month by a team of researchers at Macquarie University, found that 82% of Australians agreed that religion should be separate from politics with 47% saying they strongly agreed with the statement. Similarly, most people, 77%, support the statement that religious leaders should not try to influence how people vote in elections. The research team surveyed 1,044 voters during the federal election period in May last year as part of the Australian's Cooperative Election Study, ACES, inquiring into their views on a range of topics involving religion and politics. 
Among the other findings, Australians overwhelmingly rejected the notion of Australian of Australia being a Christian country, with just one quarter, 25% of respondents, agreeing that the government should promote Christian values. Despite the Morrison government's repeated attempts to introduce far-reaching religious freedom laws, few Australians bought the argument that religious people face discrimination. Only 9% of those surveyed strongly agreed with the statement that Australians who hold religious beliefs face a lot of discrimination. A significant proportion of people, 50%, who practice religion agreed with the statement, while a large minority of non-religious people, 40%, disagreed with the statement. The research team assessed that these results might provide clues for why the Morrison government failed to generate wider support for its religious discrimination bill. The research findings about discrimination in religious schools also provides important insights for the Albanese government, which has proposed removing exemptions to anti-discrimination laws for such institutions. A majority of people, 51%, strongly disagreed with the statement that religious schools should be allowed to exclude students on the basis of their sexual orientation, and 69% disagreed overall. The survey produced similar results regarding the question about discrimination against staff. The research also provides further evidence of the collapse of public trust towards religious institutions, with tiny minorities saying they trust organised religions and faiths and religious leaders. Among non-religious people, distrust of religious leaders was high, with 55% saying they had no trust at all in them, and another 37% having not very much trust. The research also found that the clear majorities of people believe that religious leaders should play no role at all in social and moral issues such as abortion, 59%, same-sex marriage, 58%, and voluntary assisted dying, 55%. Such findings come as the Minns government prepares to introduce a Faith Affairs Council that, as the Rational Society of Australia has warned, will privilege the voices of religious clerics in government policy making. Findings in the report reflect many of the trends identified by social researcher Neil Francis in his Religiosity in Australia series, published by the Rationalist Society of Australia. And Cy Gladman is Campaigns and Communications Coordinator for the Rational Society of Australia. Back to you, Jean. Yes, well, uh, thanks to the uh, people who are so active in the Rational Society, the uh, Dogs, of course, have been fighting on this principle for years. We've been to the High Court on Section 116, and if you want to find out more about that, you can find it also on our website. But um, just leaving that for the moment, there is a lot of concern at the lack of equity in our education system of Australia. Unfortunately, 98% of the private religious schools are resourced with public money and private money, but mainly public money, over the resource standards set by the Constitution Report in 2011. And the same number, 98% of public schools are underfunded. Uh, and this is a quite shocking situation. Uh, the Labor Party are making noises about it, and most people are making noises about the inequities. The dog's position is quite clear. When they gave state aid to private schools back in 1964, we said this would happen. If you uh, are going to give 
public money to schools which have the right to discriminate against children on whatever grounds, whether it's the charging of fees or the demand that their parents have the right religion, you're going to get inequalities. It's uh, like night, night follows day and day follows night. Um, but uh, nobody really wants to uh, confront this issue at all. The dogs are the only ones. However, the Honourable Jason Clear this week on the 5th of July put out a press release. A new school reform consultation paper has been released ahead of meetings with teachers, principals and students. There's going to be, guess what, another inquiry. And guess who's going to be jumping up and down and demanding their share of the cake? The private school interest, of course. So the first meeting of the National School Reform Agreement Ministerial Reference Group, made up of teachers, principals, students and key education stakeholders, are going to be held um, although it was held yesterday, actually, Friday the 7th of July, in Canberra. It's a sounding board and a source of advice to the expert panel review to inform the next National School Reform Agreement. Well, we'll tell you more about this because uh, next week, because by that time things will be a little bit clearer and we'll know who's actually uh, pulling the strings for the different, different uh, reference groups in, in Canberra. Uh, how many people the private schools have got uh, on their side and how many people the public schools have got on their side. Uh, usually you find that the private schools come out in front with these matters. Now, uh, the they will have been announced and we'll, we'll know more about it next week. So ahead of this meeting that was held yesterday, there was a consultation paper being released which will give Australians the opportunity to have their say on the reforms needed in the next um, National School Reform Agreement. Resource Agreement, I'm sorry. Now, this paper, and we've been through this many times before with the Carmel Committee, the Gonski Committee, you name it, this is the way they operate, the Labor Party. The paper focuses on a range of issues crucial to building a better and fairer education system, including improving education outcomes, supporting student health and wellbeing, supporting and retaining teachers, improving data collection and use, and improving transparency and accountability around funding. So they're all good motherhood statements, all good motherhood ideas. It's just that if the past is any indication of the future, there'll be a lot of uh, motherhood statements come out of this and things will just continue uh, as usual. Submissions from the public are going to be considered by the panel with their final report to be provided to the Education Minister by the 31st of October. Well, at least we'll have it before the end of the year to have a look at. Those interested in having their say can read the consultation paper and make a submission. And the panel has so far met with more than 50 organisations and experts and has visited 20 schools. In the coming months, the panel will continue to visit schools and meet with stakeholders across the country. So we've been here before. Gonski did this back in 2011 and was absolutely horrified at the um, level of disadvantage. And, uh, well, we're back, back to square one, aren't we? In fact, things are worse than they were in 2011. Uh, but these are the quotes which are attributable to the Minister for Education, Jason Clare, 
who, to be fair, is actually a product of the public school system and is a supporter of it. The Albanese government, he says, is calling on individuals and organisations to have their say on what reforms are needed to build a better and fairer education system. We're committed to working with state and territory governments to get every school on a path to 100% of its fair funding level. Funding is critical, but so is what it does. And that's why we want to hear what practical reforms are needed to help students who fall behind and help more students finish high school. Uh, the dog's position is completely clear. The private schools that are funded more than 90%, which they are, uh, certainly more than 75%, three quarters of their, um, of their operating costs by the government should be taken over and made as and become public schools. And the rest of them should have their funding withdrawn and be genuinely independent schools. That is the dog's position. It's really very simple and it could be done and we'd save a heck of a lot of public money in the process. But uh, we'll have a bit of a break now. It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason to be screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377. Yes, well, uh, we hope that you're still listening to the Dogs Program because there's plenty more interesting stuff that we're going to present this afternoon. Uh, and here we've got Andy, who's going to uh, tell us about the Labor Party in Victoria. It was not, uh, it was really very brave of them to talk about payroll tax and uh, private schools being businesses. But, um, of course, the Catholic Church and uh, some of the private schools uh, who claim to be poor private schools. We used to have those strange, strange mythical things called poor parish schools. Now we have poor independent schools. Have you noticed? Oh, dear, they're good at, at crying poor, these people who can afford to charge fees. But um, Labor has softened on the payroll tax issue. Over to Andy. Thanks, Jean. This is an article by Nicole Presell and Robin Grace. Uh, published on June the 29th, 2023. Labor softens on private school payroll tax, lifting threshold to $15,000. 60 Victorian schools will pay new payroll taxes from 2024, down from the 110 initially proposed. Treasurer Tim Pallas says the payroll tax arrangement will remain in place until 2029. Pallas says a $15,000 threshold will reduce the government's predicted earnings by over $100 million. Independent Schools Victoria says it won't rest until the tax is repealed altogether. Victoria's highest fee schools, including Geelong Grammar, Haleybury and Scotch College, will face new payroll tax rules from next year, but the measure will raise $100 million less than expected after the government backtracked from its original plan following fierce opposition. 
60 schools, or about 10% of non-government schools, will pay the new tax, down from the 110 initially proposed. The government on Thursday set the threshold for the tax at schools earning $15,000 per student, which ended months of speculation from Catholic and independent schools. Non-government schools say the measure will force them to cancel programs and hike fees. Independent Schools Victoria said it wouldn't rest until the tax was repealed, while the Catholic representative body dismissed the move as an unprecedented, ad hoc and unfair approach to school funding. But Treasurer Tim Pallas said the levy would remain in place until 2029, and it was up to schools how they adapted their business. Whether or not this translates into higher fees for students will ultimately be a decision for the schools themselves, Pallas said. The government announced in May that the state's highest fee non-government schools would lose their tax exemption and that schools earning more than $7,500 per student were set to contribute $420 million to the state's COVID debts. The measure was originally set to affect 20 Catholic schools and 90 independent schools. The new threshold captures 54 independent schools and 6 Catholic schools. Pallas said the $15,000 threshold would reduce the government's predicted earnings by just over $100 million, or $35 million annually for the three-year forward estimates period. He said the government always intended to consult with the sector, which had inevitably affected the threshold. The assessment takes into account fees and charges that non-government schools levy on all families. Scholarships and financial relief reduce schools' average fees. The Education Minister Natalie Hutchins said all schools were assessed by the same criteria and that the move brought some non-government schools in line with state schools, which were subject to payroll tax. In total, more than 660 independent schools will remain exempt. New schools will be assessed against the $15,000 threshold, which will not be indexed. The state government provides for about $1 billion in funding for operating expenses to non-government schools each year, a figure that has grown by 8% in real terms since 2014-15. Key dates. May the 23rd, the government announces that about 110 of the state's highest fee private schools will lose their long-held exemption to payroll tax next year, netting the state more than $420 million in revenue over three years. May 30th, the fee threshold is set at just above $8,000, the same standard used to decide eligibility for the COVID-19 tutoring program indexed for inflation. June the 2nd, Treasury asks the Education Department to model lifting the exemption threshold to schools that charge more than $10,000 a student in annual fees. June the 7th, the Catholic Education Commission of Victoria urges families and principals to seek meetings with their local, local Labor MPs and forward letters of protest over the tax plans. The government indicates it could lift the threshold to as high as $13,000. Independent Schools Victoria Chief Executive Michelle Green said the organisation wouldn't rest until the learning tax was repealed. Green said schools would need to decide if they cut educational programs and staff or increased student fees to cover the cost. It will come as a financial shock to parents from a wide range of backgrounds who are already struggling with cost of living pressures, she said. Independent Schools Victoria calculations show 54 independent schools with a combined intake of 63,123 students would pay a combined $78.5 million in payroll tax or about $1,500 per student per year. Green said parents at independent schools were being milked as a source of government revenue. Catholic Education Commission of Victoria Executive Jim Miles said the threshold increase meant fewer families would be affected than originally proposed, but affected schools would assess what services, programs and building plans would be cut, or if they increased fees. Miles said some schools would pay more in payroll tax than they received in state recurrent grants. No other state nor federal government had such a policy. He said it was completely misleading to say the new tax would result in equal treatment of school sectors and called the move unprecedented, ad hoc and unfair approach to school funding. 
We will continue to engage with the Victorian Government to help ensure this measure is a short-term response and that schools' funding policy is developed in a fair and consultative manner moving forward, he said. Whitefriars College Principal Mark Murphy welcomed good news for his school in the short term, but was concerned about the future. Fees for Year 11 and 12 students at the Catholic Boys' School in Donvale currently sit at $14,934 a year. Even a slight increase in fees brought on by inflation could exceed the new threshold. This is still a flawed policy. None of our schools should be subject to the payroll tax, Murphy said. Our families are hard-working people who make great sacrifices to send their children to our school. This decision could put them under even greater pressure in the future at a time when cost-of-living pressures are already causing great challenges to families. The proposed threshold changed multiple times as the Victorian government walked back its initial threshold of around $8,000 to $10,000 and then indicated it was open to raising the level even further. The uncertainty over the threshold angered non-government schools, which said they would be forced to raise fees significantly or cut back on staff and programs to meet the new tax. The change also means many private schools will, for the first time, pay two other levies on top of their new payroll tax obligation the mental health levy that was introduced last year, and a new temporary increase to payroll tax that was also announced in the budget. The 2023-24 state budget promised $450 million over four years to continue the non-government schools' capital fund, which supports new builds and upgrades at low-fee Catholic and independent schools. The funding builds on $522 million previously invested in non-government school infrastructure since 2015. Opposition education spokesman Matthew Bach said the tax meant fees at independent and Catholic schools would increase by hundreds and in some cases thousands of dollars. Many people who send their schools to fees with to schools with fees of $15,000 or more are working their socks off to be able to send their children to their school of choice, Bach said. He said he didn't think the government should be pitting one group of parents and students against another. I'm a passionate believer for more funding for state schools. This huge additional tax will have to be passed on to parents, he said. Many parents will leave, then of course go into the state system which is already overwhelmed. I don't think it's right to tax aspiration and financial choice. The logical outcome is to put even more pressure onto state schools. De La Salle College Principal Peter Houlihan was relieved his Catholic boys' school was well below the threshold. The Malvern School had projected it would have to be creative to find $850,000 to cover the tax if it wasn't exempt. The De La Salle College's senior school fees are about $13,100 a year, which increases each year between 1% and 3%. It's a massive relief. We were prepared for the worst, but waiting for the announcement, Houlihan said. Our desired policy position is to keep fees as low as possible for Catholic families in Melbourne and not to have them make those hard decisions as to where that money would come from. Houlihan said he empathised with other schools that had to face the tax. Well, that's the end of the article, and it looks like only people from independent and private schools were spoken to to write it, which is a little bit disappointing. Um, I'm not sure of their logic as to why schools should be exempt from tax uh, in this instance. And, yeah, if that money is made from those schools, that could definitely go straight into the state system, which would be a great thing. Back to you, Jean. Yes, well, we can't expect too much of the Labor Party governments, can we? we we've, over the years, we at 3CR have seen them, seen them collapse very easily on matters of principle. But um, Sorrell is going to tell us uh, a bit about what's happening with private school headmasters that are on fantastical salaries. Uh, it's been in the papers and people have been very upset about it. And now there's talk about them actually being accountable. Public money is involved. 
Over to you, Sol. Thanks, Jean. So today I have a article to read entitled Private School Principals Risk Having Pay Packets Scrutinised. This article was written by Christopher Harris and Lucy Carroll for the Sydney Morning Herald and was published on the 28th of June. Principals earning extra high salaries risk having their pay packets scrutinised by authorities after Federal Education Minister Jason Clare called for more oversight into how taxpayers' money was spent in schools. Clare's comments come after the Herald revealed last week that several private school principals were paid $900,000, whilst one earned a salary exceeding $1 million, and several also pocketed substantial bonuses last year. I want to see taxpayers' money glow in the dark, Clare said when it came to how public money was spent. All taxpayers want to know that their investment in education is making a difference to the education of their children. At the moment, there is not enough transparency of Commonwealth dollars right across the board. And that's why a review that we're doing, part of that is specifically about how we improve the transparency of the money invested in education, said Claire when asked about the issue during a visit to St. Felix Catholic Primary School in Bankstown on Tuesday. The data revealed last week also showed at least five school principals received an average bonus of $100,000, up from $82,000 four years before. While the payment of large bonuses to school leaders may be technically allowed under New South Wales law, payments must be justified by a principal's achievement in key performance areas such as improving academic performance and adhering to the guidelines as per the New South Wales Education Act. Federal budget papers this year have also flagged stricter rules for school spending to ensure taxpayers' money for private schools was used appropriately for school education. It is expected to claw back $1.9 million of taxpayer funding over four years by recovering overpayments and recruiting funding integrity. The recommendations of two major reviews into schools are due this year. One examining the fairness of education funding is due in October, while another looking at initial teacher education degrees in Australian universities will be released next week. And as this article was written in June, that has already been released. Claire said the review in teacher training, led by University of Sydney Vice-Chancellor Mark Scott, would outline ways to better prepare future teachers for managing Australian classrooms which the OECD ranked as among the worst in the world. What Mark has said is that we've got to do a better job at what we teach in our universities about how you manage difficult classrooms and provide student teachers with the skills they will need when they become teachers to manage classroom behaviour, he said. The report is expected to recommend that novice teachers be partnered with a veteran teacher who can help them with the complexities and difficulties of working in the classroom. What Mark's report, I think, will tell us is if we improve what we teach teachers and improve the practical training they get, more student teachers will finish the degree, 
more will stay on as teachers in the long term and not quit the profession in the first couple of years. And they will be more effective in the classroom, he said. That sounds like a great plan. Now, we have one comment on this article by Elise to read today. And Elise writes, I love the -the glow-in-the-dark ambition. If they take public money, how they spend it should be public. And $1 million to run a low-risk business with a straightforward operating model and a revenue subsidy is just absurd. Elitist entitlement. Elitist entitlement indeed. Definitely a great comment, Elise, to cap off a great article. Now, back over to you, Jean. Well, we'll have a bit of a break now, and uh, after that we'll do a little bit on public school funding. Hi, I'm Robbie Thorpe. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series, where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men and women in Victoria's prisons. Uh, We are such a huge representation in prison all over Australia. Statistically, it has to stop and it's not going to stop while you're building more beds in a prison. It's a Band-Aid. What about beds outside? Tune in to the 3CR during NAIDOC week at 11am each day from Monday the 3rd to Friday the 7th of July. We'll take you inside six Victorian prisons. Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, Barwon Prison, Fulham Correctional Centre, Loddon Prison. Marguerite Correctional Centre and Port Phillip Prison. To hear stories, songs, opinions and poems from the men and women inside while connecting with culture and community. The shows will be live on 3CR 855 on your AM dial, 3CR Digital and streaming via our website or the Community Radio Plus app. For more information, head to our website 3cr.org.au backslash bars. You're still listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. And uh, if you want to find out more about where we're at and uh, all sorts of other things, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info. And now we have Andy again, who's got an AEU, that's an Australian Education Union press release, about um, the ACARA funding data. Over to you, Andy. Thanks, Jean. This is a press release from the Australian Education Union from the 27th of June 2023. ACARA funding data shows urgent need for a public school funding. The shocking disparity in funding for private schools and public schools revealed today shows the urgent need for greater public school funding. Public schools enrol the overwhelming majority of Australian students and enrol a greater proportion of students with additional needs, said Australian Education Union Deputy Federal President Meredith Peace. And yet, as this data shows, public schools are being left behind due to inequitable funding arrangements. More than 98% of private schools are funded by the Commonwealth and state and territory governments above the schooling resource standard, and over 98% of public schools are funded below it. This is the education funding standard agreed to by all Australian governments in 2012. Yet, if all Australian public schools were fully funded, then students from all backgrounds would benefit from additional teachers, more classroom support and renewed up-to-date resources. The Albanese government must negotiate new funding agreements that lift funding for public schools in every state and territory to 100% of the schooling resource standard. 
And back to you, Jean. Well, thanks very much to this new voice that we've got on our program, to Andy. It's lovely to hear him, isn't it? And uh, we've still got our old faithfuls and we're going to go overseas with Jeff, first to the UK and then to the United States. Because as we all know, what happens in Australia is often an echo of what's happening overseas. Thanks, June. I'm just going to start this time in the UK where the National Education Union uh, is getting ready for strikes for better wages, conditions and uh, more funding for schools. And I'm just just summarising here, but um, there's a report in the PA Media, which is uh, an online news organisation, and they say Labor says school plans would save taxpayer billions in agency fees and by Dominic McGrath. I won't go through the whole article, but essentially the um, Shadow Education Secretary Bridget Philipson uh, claims that between 2010 and 2023, the UK government has spent £8,000 million, that's £8 billion, paying agencies to find staff for their schools. Now, if the Education Department had actually spent that money on increasing the wages and conditions and funding for schools, they may not have had that problem in the first place. So, in fact... A lot of private agencies have been raking off billions of pounds which could have otherwise been spent on public education. Anyway, I'm not going to dwell on it this time. I'm going to nip back to the United States where um, there's a couple of articles I'd like to engage with. One is by Kate Barrington and appeared in Public School Review and it's the 15 biggest failures of the American public education system. Um, It says, the world is in a constant state of change and those who fail to adjust fall behind. Unfortunately, the American public education system has not kept up with the times and is currently facing a number of serious problems. Keep, uh, anyway, it goes through, um, and I'm just going to summarise again, but the top 15 failures in American public education they identify are, uh, uh, I'm going to start with deficits in government's funding for schools. That's the obvious one, I suppose. Uh, for more than 90% of K-12 schools, funding comes from state and local governments, largely gener- generated by sales and income taxes. Research shows, however, that funding is not increased with need. Many states are still issuing funding that is lower than it was before the Great Recession. Lowering funding means fewer teachers, fewer programs and diminished resources. So that's the number one problem with sub-education uh, is funding. Uh, decline in su- uh, number two is the decline in school safety in the U.S., and they refer to uh, the string of high-profile mass shootings. Number three is the challenges with technology and education. Um, and that is that the basically, I'm summarising again, that the um, te- some the, 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 basically the curricula has failed to keep up with uh, with um, technology, and it's it's sort of chucked in as an add-on thing, which is more of a distraction um, instead of using, utilising it to its fullest potential, um, and also smartphones and things like that are made easier for students to cheat and can negatively impact learning. There was an interesting study years ago from the Germans saying that uh, integration of smartphones, uh, iPads and computers actually decreased the effectiveness of education, but that's an interesting question. Anyway, number four is controversy over charter schools and voucher programs 
and this is very important to us with public education, uh, so they say that charter schools and school vouchers allow parents to choose options other than traditional public schools for their children. Charter schools are funded by a combination of private and public funds and operate outside the public school system. School vouchers allow parents to use public funds to send their child to school of choice, including private schools. Critics of these schools suggest that charter schools and voucher programs siphon funds away from public schools that are already struggling financially. So true. Anyway, the fifth one is problems with the core curriculum. Um, essentially, they see it as an intrusion uh, into basically the the um, standards that teachers themselves would set. Um, they're constantly being uh, having to uh, teach to a curriculum which is inflexible and in- uninnovative. Anyway, decreased teacher salaries is number six. That's fairly obvious. It's hard to attract good teachers if you don't pay them well. Uh, next one is an emphasis on standardised testing. It's, they say, along with the Common Core, there's been an increased focus on standardised testing, especially during the No Child Left Behind years. Schools and teachers are judged basically on student test scores, which many argue is not fair or accurate measure of efficacy. Uh, many critics argue that standardised testing is one of the biggest problems in American education, suggesting that the pressure to produce high test scores leads to a teach-to-the-test approach and reduced focus on non-tested subjects like art. And I'm sure that NAPLAN in Australia would be a, an analogue of that. Uh, arguments about teacher tenure is number eight. It's very difficult for teachers to get tenure. That makes them very uh, unsupported, feel very unsupported and more likely to leave for school um, and certainly makes it a gig economy fixture. Um, number nine is bullying in schools. Violence in schools is a key factor. I think bullying has probably always been there. But um, bully students experience a wide range of physical, behavioural, emotional problems that can impact not on their education but also their lives. That's always been true. Um, whether or not um, the overcrowding in schools is, is causing an increase in bullying is a question. Uh, number 10 was growing problems with student poverty. According to data from the National Centre for Education Statistics, more than 50% of public school population in the United States is made up of low-income students. A significant increase from 38% in 2001. So this is a nationwide problem. Um, so people are getting poorer. Uh, kids aren't getting fed as well. Um, they're not. Their parents have got more income problems and um, they're having more problems at school. So general decline in the economy. Uh, number, 10, number 11 is that schools are overcrowded and... Um, in 2011-2012 school year, the average class size in American public schools is about 21 students and in secondary school, 27 students. Uh, now, these days, it's closer to 30 and up to 40 students in, in those classes. So, obviously, there's a lot of detriment to having a bigger class. You have less individual uh, contact with students from a teacher's point of view. Um, Number 12 is student mental health challenges. Um, there's a lot more anxiety reported amongst younger students and um, there's the ratio of students to counsellors is much smaller than it used to be. 1,000 well, There used to be one counsellor for every 1,000 to 1,500, um, but uh, that's being eroded. And, of course, we know that a lot more count- professional counsellors have been replaced in some schools by, by chaplains. Uh, 13 is parents are not involved enough. Well, that's probably uh, because they're, and they're under pressure from their from the economy, so they're not being uh, 
they're not around as much for their kids. They're not able, and less well-educated parents, uh, which is a growing concern, uh, are failing to help their children with their their schoolwork because they're not from not haven't got a high education. Too many schools are being closed. It's number fourteen, and all over the country, schools are closing their doors, and the numbers are increasing on the ones where they're still open. And the fifteen is lack of teacher innovation and outdated teaching methods. And they say the teaching methods used decades ago simply do not work for the modern student. One of the biggest things holding back the American public education system is lack of teacher innovation partially created by the enforcement of standardised testing and the Common Core curriculum. Unfortunately, the problem really needs to be addressed at a federal level with changes to policy that will result in a change within the public education system. America needs teachers who are better trained to meet the needs of their students and who are willing to speak up and facilitate change. Teachers are on the front lines without them speaking up, is not, uh, change is not possible. Anyway, um, they're, they're, that's an interesting article if you'd like to see it. It's on the publicschoolreview.com. That's all one word, publicschoolreview.com. Uh, and I would encourage you to have a look at the whole article. Uh, now, I'm just going for the final article. I found one on the World Socialist website, wsws.org, and it's called The Privatisation of Public Education in the US is Accelerating, backed by billionaires, including Betsy, Betsy DeVos. This is an article by Harvey Simpkins from the 30th of June. Oh, the other article is 30th of June as well. Privatisation of K-12 public education in the United States is accelerating. In 2023, 14 states have passed bills either establishing privatisation schemes, euphemistically referred to as school choice, or expanding existing ones. Overall, 42 states have introduced school choice bills this year. So far this year, Arkansas, Florida, Indiana, Iowa, Oklahoma and Utah have passed legislation for making school vouchers available to all or nearly all students, regardless of family family income or current private school attendance status, in joining existing universal programs in Arizona and West Virginia. Eight other states have passed laws in 2023, increasing the number of students eligible to use public funds for a private education. Alabama, Idaho, Montana, Nebraska, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Tennessee and Wyoming. Wisconsin and North Carolina are also poised to soon pass large expansions of their already existing programs. While privatisation schemes have been around for years, they were generally restricted to students from low-income households and in low-performing schools. Under the new privatisation efforts, all or nearly all students, even those already attending private schools and those from wealthy families, can access public funds to attend private schools. Private school choice is not a new thing, but what we're seeing now is very new. Bella DeMarco, a policy analyst at Future Ed, told Education Week, this is really the universal year. The new laws amount to a direct transfer of public funds to the super wealthy to continue to send their children to elite private institutions. Take one example. The Arizona Education Department reported that in 2022, 75% of students applying for vouchers had never attended public schools. That meant they were always in private school education. Those using vouchers also tend to be from wealthy families. According to Uh, the kindergarten to 12 dive, more than half of school privatisation tax credits in Arizona, Louisiana and Virginia go to families with incomes over $200,000 a year. School choice programs also also decimate funding for public education. A recent analysis by the non-profit Public Funds Public Schools 
examined voucher programs in seven states and found that in six of them, investment in public schools fell as voucher spending increased. In Florida, between 2008 and 2019, state spending on three tax credit or voucher programs increased by 313%. During the same period, per pupil funding for public education decreased by 12%, from 9,799 in 2008 to 8,628 in 2019. On average, in all other states, per pupil spending increased by 9.6% during this time. Voucher programs do not improve educational outcomes for students. Numerous studies have shown that the large majority of charter schools and private institutions receiving vouchers perform worse than public schools. Academic studies on voucher programs in Washington, D.C., Indiana, Louisiana and Ohio showed drops in standardised test scores larger than Hurricane Katrina's devastating impact on public schools in New Orleans in 2005. In the typical voucher scheme, students receive at most the state equivalent of per-pupil funding for education to then attend a private school. In North Carolina, for example, that amounts to $7,213 per year. Elite private institution tuition typically exceeds $25,000 per year or more. Thus, the vast majority of working-class students using vouchers will end up in poor-performing private institutions, sometimes with religious-based curriculums rejecting basic scientific facts such as evolution. Joshua Cohen, Professor of Education Policy at Michigan State University, noted in Time recently, the, the magazine Time, that the typical voucher school is financially distressed, subprime private provider, often jumping at the chance for a tax bailout to stay open a few extra years. Taking Wisconsin as an example, Cohen noted that 41% of voucher schools have closed in the state since the program began in 1990. For schools that opened in response to the voucher program, the average survival time was just four years. Further, Private schools receiving public funds, including Florida and Indiana, are often allowed to de decline students for any reason, banning LGBTQ children. They also can decline special needs students who often require more resources than voucher programs provide. So much for parental rights to school choice. Thomas Jefferson's wall of separation, which is supposed to exist under the First Amendment between the government and religion, has also been punctured as a private religious school as private religious schools are permitted in many states to accept vouchers. In Oklahoma, that wall threatens to be completely torn down. Earlier this month, the state state approved a public fully publicly funded Catholic charter school with an anticipated cost of twenty three point three million dollars in state funding over the first five years. The non-profit Americans United for Separation of Church and State is planning a legal challenge. The wave of privatisation efforts has been funded in large measure by Betsy DeVos, the billionaire and former education secretary in the Trump administration. Her organisation, American Federation for Children, provided $9 million to fund candidates in 2022 state elections, backing almost 200 candidates. The DeVos-backed candidates have in turn spearheaded the wave of voucher legislation in 2023, including in Florida, Iowa, Arkansas, Texas and Georgia. Financial backers of DeVos's education organisation include Cleveland Browns co-owners Jimmy and Dee Haslam and Jim Walton, son of Walmart founder Sam Walton. Concomitant with the rise in public school privatisation have been the rising demands in right-wing circles for the so-called parental rights in education. Their demands include restrictions on public school curricula and censorship of books related to sexuality, gender identity and racism. 
In their efforts at restricting what teachers can teach and what children can read, they accuse public schools of indoctrinating students while insisting that students be indoctrinated through a curriculum consisting of a steady diet of historical mischaracterisation and falsification of the many crimes of the American ruling class. Recent efforts at censorship began in a wave of state bills passed in 2021 restricting or banning the teaching of so-called divisive concepts related to race, gender, sexuality and social class. Building on this in the first half of 2022, an additional 84 bills in 26 states were pre-filed or introduced to further expand the so-called parental rights. In March 2023 at the federal level, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives passed the Parents' Bill of Rights Act. While it is not expected to pass the Democratic-controlled Senate, the bill echoes many of the state bills in allowing parents to inspect books and other library materials and requiring the public posting of curricula. The right-wing campaign to stifle discussion and prevent the free expression of ideas in public schools is bearing its poisonous fruit. During the 2021-22 school year, Penn America found that more than 1,600 book titles were banned in schools across the country, written by over 1,200 different authors, along with the contributions of 290 illustrators and 18 translators. Uh, anyway, I, I know that was a slightly long article, but uh, I, th- I think a really good one um, by the World Socialist website and the articles Harvey Simpkins. Anyway, with that, back to you, Jean. Well, thank you to Jeff, uh, but back to Australia. In our public schools, we believe that public schools should be open to all and offensive to none. And uh, there are, are some people who think that their own peculiar belief system is the only one that should be taught and that it should be taught to public school children. And uh, this means that public schools are being asked in in many ways to discriminate or to uh, teach children things that not everybody believes in at all. And Maddie has an interesting uh, article that she's going to tell you about from New South Wales where the secular society keeps a watch on everything. So... We've got this information from them. Over to Maddie. Thanks, Jane. This article is by Cy Gladman, and it is entitled Public School Children Warned of Hellfire in New South Wales. Islamic instructors are using New South Wales public school classrooms to teach children about hellfire and to warn Muslim children not to compromise or change your identity. In teaching materials published online by Islamic Special Religious Education, provided by the Islamic Council of New South Wales, students as young as eight, which is year three, are told to obey Allah and choose friends wisely because people they hang around with would affect their behaviour and identity. In a section detailing lessons learnt, the syllabus warns students against changing their identity and says that in changing times, they should seek Allah's love and approval and not that of people who have forgotten Allah. In a curriculum developed by the Australian Islamic Education Services, a not-for-profit organisation set up by the Australian National Imams Council, students in years 7 to 8 learn about whether their deeds will result in admission to paradise or hellfire. Students learning from the AIES curriculum also learn that they must affirm their faith with no taint of doubt, recognise that the Quran and Islam abrogates all previous scriptures and religions, 
and to recognize that Islamic belief and creed is built on an unwavering, undoubting acceptance. Earlier this year, the Rationalist Society of Australia raised concerns with new Education Minister Prue Carr about the teaching of creationism in public schools by Christian missionaries under the guise of the scripture program known as Special Religious Education in New South Wales. The RSA discovered teaching materials that compares creation with evolution and claims that some people think the theories of evolution and creation by God can both be true. In a letter to Minister Carr, RSA President Dr Meredith Doig asked what the MINS government would do to ensure creationism was not taught in the classrooms of the New South Wales public schools. The RSA is yet to receive a response. At the RSA webinar in March, Dr Jennifer Bleasby said teachers of religious instruction at public schools in New South Wales and Queensland use numerous methods of indoctrination, including deception, reliance on pedagogy that supports uncritical learning, emotional indoctrination, such as fear and scare tactics, and rewards and inducements. Back to you, Jean. Yes, well, the dog's position, of course, is that uh, putting fear into children in school by anyone is just not on, and all it does is prove that uh, we should have separation of religion and the state and the public schools are not a place for pushing peculiar religious beliefs. But um, we get to our best part of our program now, the good news story, and this is our great state school segment. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools. School are of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And this week's great state school is Sunshine Harvester Primary School. Congratulations, Sunshine Harvester Primary School. Sunshine Harvester Primary School opened its doors on September 9, 2009. The school was formed through the merging of three smaller local schools, Braybrook Primary School, Sunshine East Primary School and Sunvale Primary School. The main buildings were completed in the mid to late 2009 and the BER library classrooms were completed in 2011. I am going to read you a message from the principal now. At Sunshine Harvester Primary School, we provide an outstanding learning environment for the residents of the Sunshine and Braybrook local areas. We serve a diverse and ever-changing community with a high proportion of our students coming from a non-English speaking background. We believe that every student can learn and provide an inclusive and engaging curriculum that meets the individual needs of all our students. We are a PBS, which stands for Positive Behaviour Support School providing clear and consistent expectations that are underpinned by our school values of respect, responsibility and learning, together acknowledging, promoting and celebrating positive behaviour. We have an established wellbeing team, including a dedicated mental health and wellbeing coordinator and social worker to support and promote positive mental health strategies across the school. Our open plan learning spaces provide an opportunity for children to learn in flexible and caring environments, ensuring individual learning styles are catered for. All of our teachers work together in teams to optimise learning opportunities and ensure students are provided with the skills they need to reach their potential. 
That was from Polly Hansen, the principal. So I'm going to throw some facts and figures at you from the ACARA My School website now. The school has 394 pupils enrolled. The ICSIA value of the school is 951, which is well below the average of 1,000. The students are hardly representative of the community. This is a disadvantaged community. Only 8% have parents from the upper 25% in income. 15% in the second highest quartile, 23% from the third quartile, and 54% from the poorest quartile of the community. 80% of the pupils speak a language other than English, and 1% are of Indigenous parentage. This is a school full of disadvantaged students with dedicated principal and teachers. It costs the taxpayer $15,499 to send a pupil to the school above the Gonski Resource Standard. The school receives only $1.3 million from the federal government and $5.1 million from the state government, $142,000 from fees and $53,000 from private fundraising. But the capital grants in the last three years have been only $208,000. All this money is money well spent and the NAPLAN results of these disadvantaged students are way, way, way above average in every area. So congratulations to the dedicated staff at this school in Sunshine. Sunshine Harvester Primary School, you are a great state school of the week. Well, congratulations to Sunshine Harvester Primary School. Just go onto the ACARA website and have a look at their NAPLAN results. They're astonishing. You've got some very, very clever teachers and extremely clever children out there in the Sunshine area. But uh, our time has gone and thank you for listening to us and we hope that you'll be back again next week. But before we go, I'd like to personally thank Dale, our producer, and Andy and Sorrel and my, Maddie and Jeff for helping us put this together. But from the dogs and from all of us here at 3CR, it's bye for now.
from San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. It's there you find your hill. I dreamed I saw your hill last night. Alive as you and me, says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he.